Well, good morning, church. That's pretty epic, isn't it? <laughs> okay, hopefully the message will live up to it, but we're talking about God's Word, so it certainly will. If you were with us last week, uh, we began this series called I Doubt It. We began talking about the fact that if you claim to be a Christian, if you are a Christian, that your faith life will be plagued with doubt. There will be things that happen to you, there will be things said about you, but there will be things that you do that make you question God's goodness, your salvation, your own faith, if God's real. And so we're going to be digging into those uh, over the course of uh, this week and next week too. And if you didn't join us last week, I want to encourage you to go back and look at it. As we talked about, when we doubt our own faith, when we begin to question whether or not our faith is good enough, if it's strong enough, um, and today we're going to be digging into another topic. One that's very familiar if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, if you don't claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've heard this before. It, maybe not. Maybe you hopefully will have fresh ears to hear it, maybe for some of us the very first time. And for those that have been in, in attendance in this church or another church, you've probably heard this before, but I pray that you'll be able to hear it. I'd like to welcome those online too, and the same goes for you, that you could hear this message with fresh ears. And what I mean by that is this. You see, I grew up in a household... Uh, in the, the small town of Colcala, Michigan. This is actually a photo, interestingly enough, you're able to find online, uh, not far from where my house is at. And my house was right across the street from train tracks. Within my house was a grandfather clock that my grandfather had built. These sounds became just background noise. For me and my house, the, every hour that clock would chime, every so often on whatever schedule they were on, the, the train would whistle and go by. I never noticed it. I just became accustomed to it. When I had friends stay the night, they would wake up with bags under their eyes. <laughs> they woke up every 30 minutes because it would chime even on the 30 minutes. They would hear those trains go by and they'd be like, how do you sleep? I was like, I'm, I'm familiar with this. This is the deal being here. And especially for those, th those of you that are in this church, you've heard this before. You've heard this message before, but my prayer is that it wouldn't be background noise that you've become accustomed to but this would be something that you hear again. And maybe you can hear it, maybe just like you heard it the first time, that you could take it to heart. And if you are new to this, that maybe this could be something that startles you and, and catches you off guard because of how amazing it is. The topic we're talking about today is God's love. God's love towards you. And the fact is that many of us, even if we don't realize it, that we doubt God's love towards us. Do you ever doubt if God really loves you? Because if you think about it, well, yeah, I've heard that maybe before. I've heard God loves me. I know Jesus loves me. Does your life look like it? Does your life look like the creator of the universe, the one who laid the foundation of the world, the one who had you in mind before he created the world, the one that knew you as you were knit together in your mother's womb, that God, the almighty God, loves you. Do you act like it? Do I act like it? The reality is our thoughts, our actions, what we do, oftentimes don't reflect the reality that God loves us. And because of that, that makes me have wonder, do I doubt it? Do I not really see it? Is there something that's getting in the way? Is there something that, the, a veil in front of my eyes, is there something that I'm, not, I'm just not able to comprehend it fully? Because I have the head knowledge of it, I, I understand but do I really experience it in my life that it overflows out into the other areas of my life? The reality is, Scripture actually tells us that we can't even fully comprehend 
how much God loves us. In Ephesians chapter 3, these are very, very powerful verses here. It says this, And may you have the power to understand. We can't understand it by ourselves, by our own strength. Do you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience, may you not just know, but may you experience, may it be your daily experience, the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. It is too much for us to comprehend. It is too, too great. It, it is something that each of us, new believer or believer for 40 years, it should be something that we long to understand more, something we should be in awe of, something that we should look at with wonder, how he could possibly love us that much. But I think oftentimes if you've been in the church, you become complacent to it, and if you're outside of the church, the reality is maybe you don't understand how deep it is. And there are other things that can trip us up. Here are a few. It's not an exhaustive list, but these may be some reasons that we don't believe that God's love towards us is unconditional. The fact is that many of us recognize, sometimes more than others, that we are guilty, that we have shame in our life, that there is sin that makes us feel like we can't approach a holy God. We, we feel unworthy in his presence. For many others, it might be pride. Just by the sheer fact that you're here, that I'm here, that we're at a church, we're doing something religious, maybe you have a leaning towards being prideful. I'm doing the right things, saying my prayers, did most of my devotions this week, so I deserve God's love in some way. Maybe it's really, you know, sinister and sneaky in that way, but we think it's conditional. We create conditions because of our pride that we think that if we do the right things, then, then God will love us. Or just the sheer fact that we don't see it, and that leads to doubt. We don't see and experience this divine, self-sacrificing love. We, we just don't see it in our own lives. Maybe we don't see it played out in the church, in the church in the, in the world, in the church in our country. Do we see a church that is loving towards other people, that's marked by its love, in doing so, we, we, we create conditions. We do this really easily. I see it all the time. I've done student ministry now for a little while, and every year it comes to the close where we're finishing out confirmation, and I have conversations with students and ask them about their faith. And no one has to train students in this. No one has to train you in this. You do this yourself. You create if-then statements. Maybe you don't have it written down somewhere, but it's written on your heart that if I do this, then God will love me. And actually see it written down by eighth graders oftentimes. If, you know, I'll live my faith out in the future and if I pray and if I continue to attend church and if I read my Bible and if I serve and if, if I'm in a small group, if, 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 then, then God will love me. Then I'll be loved by God because I did the good thing. The reality is that's just not what Scripture says. That there is not something that we could do. There is nothing that we could fill this blank in with that would qualify us for God's love. There's absolutely nothing that you could do that you could bring you close to him. It says in Romans chapter 5 this, when we were utterly helpless, when you and I could do absolutely nothing, Christ came just at just the right time and died for us sinners, for you sinners, for me, a sinner. And now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone perhaps would be willing to die for a person who's especially good. I got news for you this morning. You're not. You're not good. 
I'm not good. It says it right here that we were utterly helpless, that we were sinners, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is the foundation that we all have to recognize, that if you are overwhelmed by guilt and shame, by something that you've done, uh, something that you're trapped in right now, or something that you plan on doing, and if you're planning on sinning later on, I encourage you, don't. Don't do that. But if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, and you find in yourself this, this heart of pride that you're puffed up about the stuff that you do, you know what? Honestly, it's hard to see. It's hard to see, and you might have to pray to your Heavenly Father to convict you of that. The fact that you might think that somehow by something you're doing is earning his love. No, there's no way because this is the reality that he comes to us while we're helpless, while we're sinners, while we're trapped in our sin. We see Jesus actually do this, approaching one of his followers, one of, one of his followers who actually struggled much with pride, as much with guilt in his life, and showed him love. We're talking about this, this episode of Peter and the other disciples as they went fishing after the resurrection. After G Jesus had died on the cross, had been resurrected, had appeared to Peter and the other disciples a couple of times. Peter, along with a few other disciples, made the decision that they're going to go fishing. It's something that they were familiar with. It's what they knew. And they did not yet know what God was calling them to. So they go and do what they're familiar with. The reality is that we do the same too. Until our life is changed and transformed by God's love, that we might find ourselves falling into the same patterns and rhythms that we once found ourselves in. And there Peter is with the other disciples. They're fishing all night. They fish all night and they don't catch anything. And then in the morning, the resurrected Jesus is on the shore. This is, our, this is actually creating some parallels to when Peter and other disciples were first called to be followers of Jesus. That they had fished all night, they didn't catch anything, and Jesus is there. And from the shore, he calls to them to cast their nets on the other side. They catch many fish, and John, the disciple who Jesus loved, as he named himself, <laughs> because he got it, he understand that Jesus loved him, says, it's the Lord. And when Peter realized that that was Jesus, rather than saying, let's go in quick, let's pull these fish in, he puts on his outer garment, he jumps in the water, he swims to shore, and he approaches Jesus. And Jesus is already there on the shore, and this is just an image to help us kind of see Jesus and Peter and a few of the disciples, that Jesus is already there. What's astounding about this is Jesus is already there, and he already has a, a fire going. He already has fish, and he has some bread, and he invites them to have breakfast with him. He invites them to actually share some of their fish with him that they could cook their fish over his fire. Now, that just might seem like, well, that's, you know, was Jesus. These are his disciples. But what's so interesting about this, that if you look back in the Gospels, when Jesus first calls Peter, when Jesus first tells him, cast your nets on the other side, and they pull in many fish, Peter realizing that the magnitude of who Jesus was in that moment, the first time he met Jesus, comes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and say, depart from me. I'm unclean. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. But here we see Peter, who is unclean, who is guilty, who is a denier of Jesus, not only come to him, but jump out of a boat, swim to him, and approach him. Because Jesus is an approachable God, even in his guilt. And then Jesus, in, in an act of love, in an act of reconciliation, invites them to share a meal. It's more than just inviting someone to go out to lunch with you. You have to understand that elsewhere in Scripture that we see Jesus having 
meals with sinners like tax collectors and others. And those that are religious are appalled at this because what Jesus is doing by having those meals is, is having a relationship with them. It's significant. And Jesus, by having a meal with all of these people that deserted him, all of his disciples that left him, and Peter, who denied him not once, not twice, but three times, denied even knowing Jesus, he's saying, you can have a meal with me. You still have part with me. And then we see this really interesting interaction. We see this line of questioning that might seem a little bit odd because it's repetitive. There's three times that this looks very, very similar. Where when they finish eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are these? It could be the nets, it could be the boats, it could be the other disciples. We're not quite sure. But we're simply seeing that Jesus is asking him, do you love me? And Peter's response, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. You'll see that this repeats itself three times. Jesus asking him, do you love me? Peter's response, and then, kind of astoundingly, Jesus actually calling him to ministry. More so than just following me, more so than just being a fisher of men, but I want you to be a shepherd, I want you to be a pastor, I want you to be an apostle in my church. I still want to use you. But what we can't see in the English that you can see in the Greek is there's something really curious happening with these words love. This love interaction, this questioning. When Jesus says this, he says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you, in the Greek word, 100% divine self-sacrificial love, do you have 100% love towards me? And Simon's response is, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I phileo, I 70%. I have affection towards you. I admire you. I think you're pretty neat. I like you. But the reality is that he knows that he can't say that I agape you, Jesus. I, he can't say that I have self-sacrificial love towards you because he didn't have that love towards him, that he denied him. And then we see it again. He says again, Jesus said, Simon, Son of John, do you agape? Do you 100% love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo, I 70%. Jesus, I, I really love you. I, I, I have affection towards you, but I don't have the ability to say that I have a self-sacrificial love towards you. And Jesus again says, take care of my sheep. I'm calling you to ministry. But finally, we see something turn and change just a little bit. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo? Do you 70% love me? And Peter was hurt by this because Jesus asked him the third time. And not just that, but he asked him, and he lowered his standard. He actually started to lower down to where Peter was at realizing that Peter couldn't utter the words that he had divine, self-sacrificial love towards Jesus. Because the reality is that that's what Peter desired more than anything, is that he was bold, he was proud, he sometimes seemed arrogant. And in the upper room, as our Lord was instituting uh, the Lord's Supper, which we're going to be able to, uh, to enjoy later, is that Peter was there with Jesus, and Jesus talking about the fact that he was going to die. Peter wanted to die with Jesus. He wanted to have that self-sacrificial love towards him. Yet what we see played out 
is that in the garden, he just, he just didn't understand. He, he cuts someone's ear off, and then later he goes and he denies even knowing Jesus three separate times, which is a far cry from being on a cross next to Jesus. And Peter knows this full well. He knows he can't say those words that he has that agape love towards him. And Jesus asked him, do you, phileo, do you have this 70% love towards me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I, phileo, you know that I have that 70% love. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's so curious about this is, is this not a private conversation from what we understand? Jesus is having this conversation with Peter in front of all the other disciples. And it's intentional. Not only is he sharing this meal with Peter and all the other disciples because he's reconciling them, but he's reinstating Peter. Reinstating Peter as a follower in, uh, in front of everybody else because his sin, his denial of Jesus was something that was public, so his reconciliation was going to be something that was public as well. What he could have done, and what maybe we think, if you really think about it, Jesus has this plan. He wants his church to spread. He wants his message of love to spread to the world. Well, what he could have done in this instance is he could have actually, you know, fed everybody and then pulled Peter aside and put his arm around him and say, hey, bud, listen up. You did a pretty good job following me, but you have to understand something. You screwed up. You said you didn't even know me, so what would that look like for me to have you be a leader in my church now? So I'm going to go ahead and go with these other disciples. I mean, they deserted, but they didn't deny me but I'm, I'm sorry, you've disqualified yourself. You're no longer worthy to be used in my kingdom. You're no longer worthy to be used for my purposes. It's not what Jesus does. It's not what he says. He reinstates Peter publicly, and then what he actually goes on to share after this is how not only would Peter live for Jesus, not only would Peter be there at Pentecost and preach uh, a sermon that would... Uh, lead to 3,000 people being baptized in that instance and continue to be a leader in the church, not only would he have the opportunity to live for Jesus, but he would have the opportunity to die for Jesus. Jesus predicts the way that Peter is going to die in old age, that he would have not only the opportunity to carry out ministry, but he would have the opportunity to not simply 70% phileo love Jesus, but he would be given the opportunity in his life, just like he wanted to, just like he professed, just like he thought that he could do by his own strength, he would have the opportunity to agape Jesus. He'd have the opportunity to lay his life down for him. And that's exactly what Peter wanted to do. Despite his guilt, despite his pride, despite the fact by all purposes, we might think that he had been disqualified. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you think that there's some sin that has tarnished your life in such a way that you've now disqualified yourself by, from him using you in his kingdom. Maybe there's some sin in your past, something that you've said or done, something awful that you don't even want to share in a small group. Maybe you don't even want to share with a spouse. And you think that I can't even say those words out loud. I can't even come to terms with that sin and that has somehow disqualified me. I'm here to tell you this morning that that has not. There's no way that it could because Jesus takes those things head on and he says that he still loves you and that you're still useful in his kingdom. And that not only is he going to use you in spite of it, but he might use you through it. And because of that, you might be able to reach a people group that others can't reach. And if you're filled with pride this morning thinking this message isn't for you, I pray that the veil gets lifted from your eyes and you see how much God loves you even despite the fact that you think that you deserve it because you don't. 
You don't. That, that's, that is good news for someone this morning. You don't deserve his love, yet he gives it to you. We see it so clearly in Romans chapter 8, an amazing chapter of scripture. If you haven't read through it, you need to. And this is at the tail end of Romans chapter 8. So what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is for you. You might not think that you're deserving of his love. You might not think that you've earned it in any way. You haven't. He is still for you. He is still for you even in your darkest moments, in your darkest days, in, the, in your darkest moments of doubt and not being certain about his love. Before you've done anything, before you've lifted a finger to do anything for him, to do ministry for him or try, try to be a good follower, that he is still for you. And more than that, who will bring a charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. There is absolutely nothing that you could do that would have justified you. And here's the reality, is that if you're dealing with condemnation, that is not the voice of God. The voice of God is not one that is condemning you. He might call you away from a sinful life. He might call you away from it. He might seek to discipline you as a parent disciplines a child and loves a child because they want them to go on the right path. But God is not looking to crush you or punish you for your sin. He did that to his son already. And you've been justified through that. And now, the very one who's justified us is sitting next to the Father and interceding. He's mediating. He's covered you. He's covered all of your brokenness, all of your guilt, and all of your pride. And now, before the Father, the Father sees Jesus' righteousness, not your sin. You need to hear that this morning, because here's the reality that I know to be true in my own life, that we have this head knowledge, and for us to experience it, for us to get it down into our hearts so that it permeates our life, that it, it affects the way that we act and the way that we talk and what we do, it needs to be heard. It needs to be experienced in a new way. I, I have a, a two, two sons out here in the world and another one on the way, and they know that I love them. They know that to be true. They know that I'm their, their father, but if I pick them up, and if I hold them close, and if I say into their ear, I love you, I'm proud of you, I would do anything for you, the reality of the relationship hasn't changed, but the experience of it has. The smile that would crack over my son's face and my face as well is an experience of that love. Did I, did I love him before I said it? Absolutely. But his experience of my love towards him is different when he hears it. And this is the importance of, of being in God's word and being able to see not, not all of the condemnation and guilt that we sometimes can see or sometimes feel from God that isn't coming from him, but rather looking to his scripture, looking in his word, and seeing his love towards us, experiencing that love towards us from him so that it wouldn't just be simple head knowledge, but it would be an experience of your life. And that you would know this that when this question comes up, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? There's going to be problems in this world. You know that to be true. Is, are any of these things going to disqualify us from God's love? Is there any sin that could disqualify you from him loving you just the same? 
Is there anything that could happen in your life that might make you question, is, is he good? There will be things. There will be trials. There will be tests in your life. But the reality is, no, in all of these things, no matter what it is that you face, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing. You need to know that this morning. There is nothing. The secret sin or the puffed up pride or the fact that you just have been apathetic and going through the motions for so long that you don't know if you can see God's love anymore. It's there. His love towards you, the condition that he has towards you, the relationship he seeks towards you has not changed and will not change. It is immutable. It is unchangeable, his love towards you. There is nothing you could do. There is nothing on this temporal world or even in the supernatural world that could change that. Because here's the reality. We, We don't need to doubt God's love because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Jesus and what he's already done for us. We've been justified by him. You've heard Many of you have heard this before, and if you're hearing this for the first time, I pray that it's a revelation for your life, that it would be something that you don't just hear, but you experience, that you have a God who loves you enough that he'd be willing to give his life for you. The weight of your sin, the sin that we all get entangled with, that we all get trapped in, the only thing that's required of us. You might look at this and go, Ben, well, look, that's, that's almost too good. Right? So he loves me so much that they're like, what is required of me then? And, and that sort of gospel, Ben, that he loves me no matter what, that he loves me no matter what I've done, well, doesn't that just give me like a license to go ahead and sin and do whatever I want because he's just going to forgive me? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's not what Scripture says. He will love you no matter what. If you've been a Christian for two minutes or if you've been a Christian for 20 years, his love towards you is the same. And when you stumble and trip up and when you sin, because you will, his love towards you is the same. The only thing that he requires of us is to believe and to repent. These words that we see that are, for some of us, familiar words, but so powerful. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, that's it. Whoever believes in him, not who did the right thing, who came to church enough, who prayed enough, who read their Bible enough, Those things are great, and that should be an outpour and a response. But for justification, for you to be right before a holy God, the only thing that is required, repent of your sin, believe in him, and you shall not perish but have eternal life. Because God didn't come to send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come here to show you the right way so that you could live some good moral life. He came here to save your life by giving his up. And now this reality changes us. This, this going from this head knowledge down to this experience is something that will call us to no longer act as slaves to sins, but sons and daughters of a God who loves us, a God who's good, and a God who calls us to live out that same love in this world. We are called to love, but the order is important because he first loved us. He first loved you before you did anything good, before you tried and before you screwed up, and but you screwed up again, and you screwed up the tenth time. He still loved you, and now we are called to go and love others too, that we might not be a stumbling block, that we might not trip other believers up or non-believers up because we're not acting out Jesus' love. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we're called to do it kind of in this way. These are just a simple photo of solar lights 
but I think is a powerful image and a, and a helpful reminder to me of how useful are these lights when the sun's not out? Do they work very well? Do they shine? Neither do you, if you're not in the presence of God's love. If you continually put yourself back under condemnation, back under the law, back under a God who you think is out to get you and punish you and wants you to try harder, when you put yourself under that, it's overcast. When you are underneath a God who loves you, one that was willing to send his son to a cross to die for you, when you are able to bask in the fact that a God loves you so much, unconditionally, despite all of your faults and failures, when you spend time in that and when you stare at that love and you begin to try to understand it and you become in wonder of it and in awe of it and you, because you can't grasp it, then you are able to light a path for others that they might be able to see the same thing as well. We need to spend time looking to him, understanding, trying to grasp his love. Again, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3, now may you have the power, and this is only by the Holy Spirit, that we are able to hear this and it not just simply be a grandfather clock or a train, right? It's only by his power that this is not some sort of background noise for us. It is only by the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have the power to understand, as God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is towards you. And that you may experience, again, that you can have that experience and not just simple knowledge of love, though it is too great for you to understand, and then you will be able uh, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. That your life would then begin to be the reflection of his light shining through you. His love empowering you to go love others because he loved you first. And that you would have a life that looks more like his. That would look more like the life that he would have you live. Not because you're trying harder, not because you're trying to do good, but because God's love and by the gift of his Holy Spirit that you are being changed by the fact that he loves you. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would be able to do that if there is something that you are still clinging to. So you'll still cling to some sort of sin that you're trying to fix and you're trying to make it a little bit better. If you're still puffed up with pride or something, you need to go before God and you need to take that stuff. You need to lay it down at his feet. You need to set that stuff aside. There is nothing that you could do that would make God love you any more than he loves you this very moment. Don't let it be a, the clock. Don't let it be the train. You need this this morning. God loves you. That is the simple truth. That's the simple reality. And if you don't hear another message, then this one would, should be it. That God loves you without condition. And that your life should be changed because of that. Spend time with him. Be in awe of that. Try to grasp it. You won't be able to. You could spend the rest of your life trying to grasp this truth and this reality. And you will never get to the bottom of the, how deep his love is towards you. Set it aside, repent, and simply believe. I pray that this morning that that would be a confidence that we would all be able to step forward and continue to be his children, no longer slaves to sins, but sons and daughters who act out a life that looks like we know that we're loved by our Father. And there are opportunities to do that. There's opportunities to do that in your neighborhood. There's opportunities for you to show that love to your neighbors. There's opportunities to do that here by volunteering, by being a part of this church, by coming to this church, and even here this next week, there's a new opportunity that some of you might not be familiar with. There's one, if you've been a part of this congregation, you know this, make rest, where we can reach out to those that are homeless within our community. And if you're interested in that, and you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, 
one who loved you first, that you can go and love the least of these, there's an amazing opportunity. Please just reach out to the church that we might be able to do that, that we could shine his love in this community and that because of it, that other people might come into contact with a God that loves them no matter what. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this revolutionary, life-changing reality. God, for some of us, this is brand new news, and for some of us, this is, this is maybe seems like old news, but regardless, it is good news this morning that your love towards us is unchanged and without condition. God, that you look on us and you see sons and daughters. You see ones that have been justified by the blood of your son. You see children that you love, God. God, if we need to be called to repentance this morning, we pray that we would do that, that we would lay down the guilt, we would lay down the shame, we would lay down the sin, that we no longer walk in it. God, but that we could walk in a newness of life, empowered by your spirit. God, and I pray for everyone here and everyone watching online and myself that we might have the power to understand. Give us the gift of your Holy Spirit that we might begin to grasp, that we might begin to see more clearly the amazing love that you have towards us. And that as we long to understand that more and more and as we look to you to see your love more clearly, that our lives would change and they would reflect people that are basking in the love of their Heavenly Father as we live out our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.